0: All right, let's get out our Bibles today, and let's go over to the Book of Ephesians, chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. Hope you come ready to eat. Amen. Got some some food. It's the Word of God today. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you today for this time we have together now. This opportunity to to uh, read and study teach the word of god i believe that it's life and health and strength to everyone who would receive it and lord we do ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear hearts open and receptive to what you would say and do in our in our midst today in jesus name we thank you for it amen okay everybody we started a couple weeks ago talking about the rules of grace all right we're going to pick up there where we left off and of course a, a lot of this series has to do with contrasting the old covenant and the new covenant all right the old way of doing things and the new way of doing things and many people have been caught just not really recognizing the difference and uh, not knowing that there's a difference if they get a verse out of uh, the Psalms and they get a verse out of Ephesians all right because these are written at different times to different people under different covenants all right and it's 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 essential that we understand what rules govern grace lest we find ourselves reverting and trying to relate to God as if Jesus never came, okay? And what happens many times is people get saved, they come to the Lord, they receive Jesus and they're born again, they have heaven as their future, but then they start relating to God as if they were David, or Solomon, or if, as if they were one of the Old Testament people. And we just don't relate to the Lord the same way today. Everything's different. And good news, everything's better. <laughs> everything's much, much better. We have a new covenant, better promises, and, uh, and if we learn how this, this new deal works here, I tell you what, it'll revolutionize. I believe this is one of those types of messages that can literally revolutionize a person's relationship with God. Amen. It'll really change the way that you talk to Him and how you relate to Him. And therefore, if that's better, uh, it'll fix other relationships too. Uh, did you ever, anybody ever notice the connection? You and your relationship with God and you and your relationship to your spouse and your kids and your friends and, your, you know, other people? Uh, sometimes people have disconnected everything. My relationship with God is great. I just love the Lord. I just can't stand people. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not right. That's not true. Really, if you have a difficult time getting along with everybody else, you're not getting along with the Lord as well as you think you are. <laughs> huh? It's just like for those parents who have multiple kids, if your kids are fighting, are they getting along with you? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't have a good relationship with me and a bad relationship with your sibling. Amen. Because I love them just the same as I love you. Right? And so all these things relate and are interconnected together, and it's helpful for us to see this. Uh, and so our uh, study here is going to begin today in Ephesians chapter 2. And let's read some very well-known verses of Scripture. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Okay, so salvation comes how? By grace through faith sometimes we say it this way grace is the hand of God reaching down toward us and faith is our hand reaching up toward God we grab his hand that allows his ability his life his favor his goodness to flow through our lives okay but salvation comes how by grace all right not of works Not of yourselves, as verse 9 says, lest anyone should boast. If I had anything to do with my salvation, then I I deserve credit for that. I get a pat on the back. I feel good about it. Yeah, I did it. But in reality, the true way that salvation works is I get zero credit and I give all the thanks to Him. I don't boast in my own uh, endeavors, but I make my boast in the Lord in what He has done, what He has accomplished for me, okay? This is the very foundation of, of the Christian life and a relationship with God is that you can do nothing to be saved. You can do nothing to improve your place or standing with God. You can't do anything to make Him love you any more or any less because He relates to you through Jesus and what He accomplished for you on the cross. If that weren't true, then giddy up and start working. But I'm telling you, you're never going to be good enough. God's standards are just way too high. You'll never reach the bar. It's like a long jumper trying to jump the Grand Canyon. You know, even the best out there. How many know they're not even going to come close? So God said, you can't do it. You'll never make it. You're not good enough. You've sinned. You've fallen short of my glory. But I've got a gift for you. How many know a gift doesn't have an invoice at the bottom? At Christmas time, you know, you get that thing you always wanted, and there's the bill underneath. <laughs> That's not a gift. Man, that wrapping was deception. When it comes to the gifts of God, recognize and understand that they truly are gifts. They're, they're truly gifts. That means it's totally based on the generosity of the person giving. All right? It's not a gift that, well, if you do one, two, and three, then you can have the gift. No. It's a gift. There's no string, there are no strings attached. There's nothing involved. It's not that. Well, if you receive Jesus as your Savior and if you'll go to church and read your Bible and you'll pray and you'll serve and you'll work and you'll give and you'll smile and you'll help people, then you'll be saved. How many know that's not a verse in the Bible? You know, one revelation... That, I, I, that is real clear to me, and it's become clear when talking to various people from uh, differing religions in our country, and that I, and that is this: I like to ask the question, real simply, when someone knocks on my door or something, and you know, have their magazine and and uh, or whatever one of the other groups around that that's trying to um, get me to be a part of their group, part of their religion. I like to ask them. Uh, what must I do to be saved? Now they don't know that I already am saved, but I ask them, "What do I need to do to be saved?" Here's what I've found. There's a lot of humming and hoeing and hawing in, a, in response to that question. There is. I've talked to a lot of people, to the, you know, to the uh, the LES missionaries around, and had, you know, I got friends I went to high school. With, but I, I I ask them questions like that. What must I do to be saved? And they can't, if they can't answer it in one sentence, they're totally outside of the Bible. Do you realize that? Because our Bible answers that question, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> right? It is simply faith or trust in what Jesus did for us, not, okay, well, <laughs> the first thing <laughs> is you've got to do this and then this and then you've got to do this and you've got... No, you've already gotten outside of the grace of God. I don't even need to know many verses in the Bible. I can just go to Ephesians 8 and say, according to the word, salvation is not about me. It's not about what I do. Amen. Amen. Salvation is about what Jesus did. And it is about what He accomplished for me, and I simply receive it. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Hang in there. You'll be all right. Go over to Colossians. Uh, chapter 2. Just a short right turn there. Colossians chapter 2. So we can see that we're saved by Grace. through. Save. Alright, that's easy. Many of us are already there. If not, if you're not there yet, you're going to have the most life-changing experience here before our time is done. Oh, you're going to be so happy you came to church today. Amen. You, I mean, your eyes are going to be opened I tell you what, this is not what you thought it was. This is not what you, you, you envisioned and imagined. Some of you who have been saved for a long time, I tell you what, your eyes are going to be open today to see something that you've probably gotten away from. Many Christians have. Okay, Ephesians 2 and verse 6, it says, as you th- therefore have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, stop right there, how did you receive him? A little unity would help, but uh, how did you receive Him? By grace through faith. That's how I received. So as you have received Him, what does it say? So walk in Him. In other words, the, the way that I get saved is the way that I'm supposed to walk with Him. What happens too frequently is a person gets saved by grace through faith, which is, of course, the only way to be saved. But then as soon as they're done praying that prayer, they go back into the law. They go back into trying to perform for God, thinking that I've got to do this, this, and this, and this, or I'm in trouble, and my salvation is kind of hanging in the balance in this. How many understand there are a lot of Christians today that are uncertain about their eternity? That's not right. Do we really think the Lord invited us into this life-changing relationship for us to question the rest of our lives whether we're really saved? People feel like, man, I've blown it today. sure hope I don't die. (laughs) Many people have questions like this. And I don't mock the questions because, hey, we all have questions at times. But uh, they say, you know, if a person dies and yet they didn't get a chance to get all their sins confessed before they died um will they go to heaven or will they go to hell well it depends on whether they were saved by what they do or whether they were saved by what jesus did and i know that f- that lights up questions in people's minds so i can do anything i want huh god forbid you live you live as if you're not saved but our relationship with god is not Based upon how well I perform, how little I sin, or if I, in the nick of time, remember to get every sin confessed before my death. How many know most of us are in trouble? Because I, I would venture to say that probably you've had some bad attitudes, some wrong thoughts, some wrong actions, some things you've done that you forgot about. You never asked the Lord to forgive you. What's the deal with that? Are you still saved? Hmm. Depends if your salvation is based upon everything that you do or if your trust is in that my salvation is based upon what Jesus did. Thank you, Lord. Verse 7, And so we walk in Him in that very grace that saves us. It's God's ability towards us to allow us to walk and live the Christian life. He said, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith. How can I be established? By grace. It is in the grace of God that establishes me. Not I get saved and now I've got to really work hard to clean up my act. Now I've really got to get busy working on this thing. No, the same way I'm saved, I keep yielding to that. I keep allowing the flow of God's ability to work in me, and it causes me to be established. I don't know if you can tell anything happening in your life, or even over the last few weeks, but I'm stirred up just teaching this stuff. I find myself being more established, more settled. And I've known these, but just given attention to them. It's like, wow, I don't want to live for the devil. I don't mean I was four weeks ago, but... You know what I'm saying? But it's just more real. I don't want to live a sinful life. I just want to praise God for what He's done for me. And that's what the Scripture says here. He said, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. When you focus on everything about your life and what you do right and what you do wrong, there's going to be some down, bummer days. But when you focus on what Jesus did in your place as your substitute, as your sacrifice, it's like, thank God praise God. He relates to me that way. It makes thanksgiving abound. Look at verse 8. Look at that first word. This is this is very powerful. Look at there. It says, beware. Beware. I, th- I always think of the signs on the fence. Beware of dog. <laughs> when I see that word beware. That means uh, you might not want to go in the backyard. There's something back there that wants to you know, put his teeth in your leg or something. Uh, beware. Watch out. Stay away. And in this context of how we are to live in God's grace, in this is a matter and you know, live, abound in thanksgiving, he said, beware now, lest anyone cheat you. Why would he tell us to beware lest anyone cheat you? Because that's the way things go. People are going to try to cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to who to Christ so that means when a person gets saved they come into the kingdom by the grace of God there is going to come through people some philosophies some traditions, some basic principles of the world that are going to try to convince you to go opposite and try to live your new found freedom in Christ, try to live that out under their worldly philosophies and traditions. And it's going to be the opposite of living by grace through faith. It's kind of... I don't know if I want to say human nature, but churches get into this regularly. You, you think about uh, our country and all the different denominations. Some some denominations are doing great things, but uh, a lot of them that have been around for a while, they started off in power. They started off in revival and lives being changed, and today they're dead. It's sad. and And of course, their attendance and everything is going down sharply. But there's a reason for that. It's because they've departed the gospel. And it has become a religion. And that seems to be the way man gravitates. We get together. We get something going. People are saved and healed and set free. And life is going on. But over time, we start adding, adding regulations. That's another word for Laws. We start going back to that flesh way of dealing with God and we've got to control people. And someone does something wrong here so we make a rule. And someone breaks this so we make a rule, a new law. And before you know it, it is just a huge regulated system that has departed from the gospel of grace that God intended for us to live in. Okay? You can see it in our... It it seems to be the way of man, like I said. But our country is going this way. Look at government. How it keeps... And this is not, I'm not intending to be political here, but it just happens to be. Uh, but our government keeps getting bigger and bigger. I mean, the IRS code keeps getting bigger and bigger. I mean, laws abound and, and, uh, and there's so many more regulations and, uh, you know, even recently doing things with health care, you know, it's like uh, thousands of pages and just add that to the system. And before we know it, what's happening? Freedoms are getting eaten away as citizens. Not to say that, you know, as a country there shouldn't be some regulation. I think there should be some. But when it comes to our relationship with God, that same trend tries to get in play where we start to live by a rule. Oh, we need another rule for this. Need another law. Need another regulation. Need another this. And before you know it, like I said, we've departed the gospel of grace, we've been duped. He said, you've got to beware because people are coming and they're going to be saying things, probably wearing religious garb and speaking Christianese and doing things with a smile on their face. But the end result is we have departed grace and got back under the law and that's not the way this new covenant works. There is something that is so much better and so much more powerful. It's so liberating. But fear sneaks in. This is one of the motives. When someone gets involved in wrong behavior, fear jumps in and says, we got to preach on sin. We got to tell people, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And I don't mean that that discussion is never appropriate, but it always must come and follow What Jesus did for us. It always must follow, but I'm free in Christ. I'm not saying I'm not going to call sin, sin. You know, call a spade a spade. Uh, We don't back off from doing those things. But it's always with this in mind. Jesus set you free from that. You have new life in Christ. Live out of that. Not we're going to get some new commandments to set up. Amen. And so, again, beware... Beware, if we're not on guard for this, we've probably already come into this mentality and we're trying to perform for God and just obey the commandments instead of living a new way. All right, go over to uh, Hebrews chapter 8 and let's see this over here. See, if my performance couldn't make me righteous, then my lack of it cannot make me unrighteous. And I know this tweaks brains. you saying if I do something wrong, I'm not unrighteous. Not if you're saved, you're not. The, uh, the act was unrighteous, but your nature doesn't change, and now you become unsaved again just because of an unrighteous act. Amen. Amen. Okay. Hebrews. Everybody there? Amen. Hebrews chapter 8. And let's read over here in verse 10. It says, For this is the... Covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice how God wants to relate to us in our day not by an external set of rules, not I'm going to write my laws upon some stone like He did in the Old Covenant with the Ten Commandments. We have a new day. I'm literally changed inwardly. And when I came to Jesus, He wrote His laws inside of me. And now, uh, I'm thankful for the Bible. I'm thankful for the Word. And I I read it regularly like many of you do. Uh, It nourishes me. But I have the living Christ inside of me and He leads me in the way I should go. Uh, uh, he's written something inside of me. And so there, I almost, it's almost like I inherently know what's right and what's wrong. Maybe you've heard people say at times, uh, You know, I was about to go do something. I was about to make this decision. And something on the inside just wouldn't let me. Well, what is that? For the Christian, it says God wrote something on your heart. He wrote something on the inside of you, and you were being, uh, you were acting in accordance with your new nature, and not just just with what out outside and external forces um, were wanting you to do. So again, notice how God relates to us by writing something inside. I don't relate to Him based on external rules and regulations. I relate to Him based upon Him writing something inside my heart. Okay, verse. Uh, Verse 10, is that right? Verse 11, none none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Whether you've been saved for three days or 30 years, whether you know a lot or little, have done a lot or a little, in this new covenant every person who receives Jesus they know God. Why? He lives inside of them. He's adjusted and changed their heart so that all can relate to him personally. I don't have to go through anybody else. I don't have. I don't know somebody who knows God. You know, like in in the book of Acts, uh, uh, there was a group of Jewish exorcists that tried to cast demons out of people, and they said, "We adjure thee, we com- we command these demons to come out by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches." And so they're telling these demons, uh, we know a guy who knows Jesus. <laughs> Come out in his name. And, they, you know, you remember they spoke up. They said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? <laughs> and literally they got beat up and stripped. And they ran, out, they ran out of there naked and beat up. Yeah, I don't relate to God through somebody else. <laughs> I'm glad to know some people who know God. But you know what? More than that. I'm glad that I know Him personally. Amen. If you've received Jesus, I want to let you know, you know Him. He has done something inside of you, and you're becoming maybe more acquainted with His voice and 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 His Word, but you know Him. He lives in you. That's the foundation, the beginning of this relationship with God. Even in the early church, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't just go, hey, they come to church and they say, oh, well, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 today. They say, Ephesians, What? They look in their Bible, all for I don't have an Ephesians in here, I got a Jeremiah, <laughs> I got an Isaiah, you know, and it wasn't even like a Bible, you know, more like a scroll, <laughs> And uh, but they could still live for God, they could still live their new life in Christ, why? Something was changed inside of them. Okay, And he went on to say in verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. What's he talking about? Our day, our covenant, this new way of God dealing with people. He says, I don't remember anything you've done wrong. Do you know that? The Lord looking at you today doesn't see one thing you've ever done wrong. If He doesn't see it, why should you see it? Why should I be mindful of it? Why should I be condemned by it, beat up by things I've done wrong, if the Lord looks at me and sees clean, washed in the blood of my son forever set free, yay God, amen he says in that he says a new covenant he has made the first obsolete now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away, alright, and so uh, again uh, let's go over to John 17 I say again, God wants to know Or He wants us to know that the way He relates to us in this day is by writing something inside of us. I've been born of the Spirit. My new nature comes from Him. That's what I relate to God out of now. That's how I live for Him. But what does it mean to know God? We often talk about knowing Him and, uh, you know, do you know the Lord? What does it mean? Jesus was praying over here in John 17... And His prayer is recorded for us. That's pretty nice. Be able to sit in on a prayer meeting with Jesus. Just listen. See what He's saying. Let's just skip down to verse 3. It says, and He said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I want you to recognize how Jesus identified and defined eternal life. He said, it's knowing the Father and knowing Himself. When we get saved, what's the goal? It's to know Him. Now, this knowing here is not just talking about an intellectual type of knowledge, but it's talking about an intimate relationship with Him, knowing Him personally and intimately. Okay? And it's not uncommon for Christians today to, to say, you know, we don't believe in religion, we believe in relationship. Okay, And that's, a, that's, a, that's not a bad saying or, or, or statement there. But I think what happens many times is people come to the Lord to receive forgiveness, and they are forgiven, but they stop there. I'm forgiven, and then the rest of their life they're just trying to stay forgiven. They're just trying to maintain that position of I'm right with God so that when I die I get to go to heaven and so they're just staying there. I want to tell you something here God is very merciful and there is no doubt that when Jesus took our place by dying on the cross that it was a tremendous act of mercy to this end that we wouldn't have to suffer for our sins. He did not want you to go to hell. Did not want you to pay the penalty or be punished for your sins. However, listen now. That wasn't God's final goal. It wasn't His main purpose just simply to remove the penalty of sin from our lives. He did it in order that we might be able to... Be close to Him. Have a relationship with Him. Embrace and have intimate fellowship with Him. The forgiveness, oh thank God for it, enabled God's final goal of knowing you. Of you knowing Him. The sin was in the way. God could not embrace me while I was a sinful person by nature. Because he, don't, he doesn't embrace sin. He loved me in that condition so that the sin would go away and now He could have a relationship with me. Let us never be satisfied or just stop at this point. I'm forgiven of my sins and then become religious. I'm saved. Now what do I need to do? Nothing. Just be saved and be in a relationship with God. He loves us so much; he wants to talk. Amen. I think that uh, if we had, if we treated many of our relationships on earth the way that we treat our relationship with God, it wouldn't really be very fun. And I think it's the it's the same it's the reason why some struggle in their spiritual life because they've totally made it a religion, they've totally come become law people again, and they're literally born again and they know by grace I'm saved through faith, but then they just try to go through the rituals, they try to keep their life in order, just trying to toe the line. And do everything right. And if I don't drink and cuss and smoke and chew or run with those that do, then I'm a Christian. <laughs> no. It's about my fellowship with Him. It's about I'm so thankful for what He did for me. I, I, I like God. I don't just love Him. I like Him. I like to hang out. Amen. like to spend time. But you think about many natural relationships... You know, what would a marriage look like if it was just summed up with rituals? The only thing to that marriage was, well, we do this on Sundays. And we do this on Wednesdays. And we do this. And I, you know, and it was just a matter of going by the rules. And don't wave your hand and say, that is the way my marriage works. Uh, (laughs) That's another message. (laughs) Uh, But listen, most of us recognize that the reason... People get married, typically, is because they're in a relationship. They love each other. They like each other. And they want to take it up to the next level. They, they want to say, hey, this is, this is the real deal here. We want to be with each other, spend our lives together. We, we want to relate to it, you know, live together, have family together. We want to be together. That's what it's about. And so the legal part is done to facilitate that. There's a wedding ceremony, there's a wedding certificate, you know, you get the marriage license, and you become legally joined. You legally become married, but it's not just so you can wave your paper around and say, we're married, we're married, we're married, we're married. I've never, I don't even know where our marriage license is, I'm sure you probably know. I've never taken it out and shown it to all my friends. We're married. Never gotten a, never gotten a... You know, photocopy of it, laminated it, put it on my bumper. <laughs> you know, maybe had it printed on my t-shirt or got a tattoo. <laughs> married, just wanted everybody to see, I am married. The legal part is necessary, but it is to facilitate the relationship that we desire. When when it comes to relating to God, the legal part is necessary. And that was the blood was spilled. It satisfied the high court of heaven to justify us and redeem us from all of our sin, so that when we are, when we receive that, we're born again. We have the relationship. The relationship was really what matters. It's really the reason we we are here. But too often. Uh, We've got into a religious mode and we're just following the rules and i got to do this because I'm a Christian. And you can't do that. You can't do act that way anymore. You can't do this. It, we need to get our focus and our eye back on the ball. God loves us. He wants to be close to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. Amen. When God established certain Uh, ordinances that we practice certain things that we do see people have made them into religion as well they've made it just just, well we got to do these different rituals it's not for that like when we have water baptism or we have uh, communion we receive the communion elements it's not so that we can say I did communion did the water thing you know I did these different things uh, I'm a really good Christian well Legally, you're either a Christian or you're not. You've either received the legal necessary requirements to be saved, or you haven't. Now that you are, get on with the main focus here. When the Lord has us do communion, and He doesn't command us to do it. He just says, whenever you do this, remember that Jesus spilled His blood. That His body was broken so you could be healed. Uh, We we see people, when we get baptized, uh, I was baptized water baptized. We see others water baptized regularly. What's that reminding us of? It's Jesus dying and coming back to new life. And it clicks something in our minds. The Lord wants us to understand, be fully aware and have revelation of these eternal truths so that we can have a relationship with him so we can have intimacy and fellowship and and be on the same plane with God if I'm mindful of sin and everything wrong I can't relate to a perfect God I have to continually be reminded that I'm new I'm forgiven I'm clean by the blood and God has forever made me to be close with him amen now I know sometimes people say well I you know, they get saved. and They'll say things like, Now, now, do I have to go to church every week? <laughs> you, you know, do I have to read my Bible like every day? Do I have to pray? You know, do, do I have to give? What about this tithing stuff? Do I have to do that too? Come on, man. This is a law person talking. Do we recognize that? Th- that is a person who's bound up under the old rules. So well, well what's the answer to those questions? <laughs> I'm telling you you're a law person. I don't even want to give you the answer. I will. You don't have to do anything. There's no invoice at the bottom of the present. Our relationship is not about it's contingent. You'll really be saved if you follow through with these five things. I'm saved period no matter what I do because I put my trust in Jesus. Say, so you saying we shouldn't come to church. I'm saying our relationship with God should not be born out of discipline, but out of desire. What I do with the Lord is not just a matter of me toeing the line. I want to. I don't mean that there's never a day when I might jerk myself, you know, grab myself by the back of the neck and say, you know, straighten up. That can be appropriate. But if every day of my life is just about following another set of rules, I've missed the point. God wants to know me. He wants to have a relationship with me. There needs to be a desire. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Where I've just, I know the Word. I do everything right. I tithe even of my spices. You know what I'm talking about? And just laws have overtaken me. And whenever laws, like we said earlier, get kicked in, more laws get added. Man adds more rules and more regulations. And it needs to come back to the simplicity of, I just love God. I I know the Father. I know Jesus. I have eternal life. And that's what it was designed to do. Let me show you one more scripture here this morning over in the book of John, chapter 5. John chapter 5. See, again, salvation was intended to be presented as a way to come back into harmony with God, not just to be forgiven. It's not just about forgiveness. It's coming into that fellowship and harmony with the Lord. Let, us, let none of us be robbed of this. Beware lest anyone cheat you out of the fullness of what it really means to be a Christian. It's a relationship with God. It's daily fellowship. Two people could look the same outwardly. They do some of the same same things. But one is bound, one's a law man, the other's a free man. The other person is operating in grace and there's there's an ease to it. There's a flow to it. There's a lightness. To their, to their life. The other struggling, feeling bad about it, feeling guilty, feeling beat up. They're just trying to do everything right. And here we are sliding in saying, He loves me. This I know. <laughs> For the Bible tells me so. And we just accept that. Think of how it changes a person's life to accept that truth. You know, you think about oh, children. Some, if a child grows up in a home where they are loved and affection and love is shown to them, where they're given affirmation and approval and, you know, uh, the parents love each other, Uh, that sets an environment for success for that child. That person is going to succeed where others are going to have a challenge who are growing up in a more difficult situation. I'm telling you, that same principle plays out in our lives today. When I will recognize... How much God loves me. That He approves of me through His Son now. And He'll always relate to me that way. It sets me up to look people in the eye. Sets me up to be confident. Even if you don't like me, God likes me. <laughs> I trust Him more than I trust you. Because <laughs> you may say, nobody likes me. Jesus likes you. <laughs> oh, no, He loves you. Gave His life for you. That will never change. Say, but I've screwed up. Welcome to the club. (laughs) He likes you independent of that. Because He's washed your sin away. Amen. Amen. You can feel good about your life. Oh, you don't know my life. I don't need to know your life. I know Jesus' life. You can feel good about your life in Him. Don't try to pull yourself up and earn your way in. Well, when I clean things up, then I'll feel better. Stop. Jesus cleaned you up. Feel better today feel better you'll find that when you'll do you'll live out of that and and your natural life will start coming right up start coming right up let's read this verse john chapter 5 verse 39 jesus speaking here said to the f- f- these guys he said uh, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life what, what do we say eternal life was Knowing God, knowing the Father, knowing the Son. He said, you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And so he's talking to these theologians, these word experts. They knew their stuff. He said, you guys are studying, you're reading the scripture, you're getting all this stuff down, and you think you've got eternal life because of that? He said, I'm standing right before you. They're talking about me and you won't come to me. Too many times people have a relationship with the written word and they don't know the living Christ. They've memorized principles and formulas and laws and they can tell you what's right and wrong, what you can do, what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, what you should do, but they never enter into that fullness of a relationship with Him. And that's what God intended. Listen, don't just come to church. Come to Jesus. If we ever lose our focus on Him... We've lost the focus. I know in the world they don't want to say Jesus. But I do. And I'm never going to lose that. I'm going to beware lest anyone cheat me out of anything that would lead me away from Christ. Lead me away from Him. Amen. Praise God. Don't just read the Bible. Hear from heaven. Hear from the Father speaking to you when you read the Bible. Don't just sing the songs and harmonize and clap on beat or off beat. Worship. Talk to Him. Sing to Him. Amen. See, there's a different mindset when we do some of the same things, but we do it with a different motivation. And we do it with a different understanding. Amen. I'm responding. I'm reflecting what the Lord has done in me. And uh, again, people will always try to bring us into bondage. They'll always be those. T- in Jesus' day, it was, the, it was the Pharisees. It was the teachers of the law. It was those who would, you know, when his disciples and he went through the fields one day when they were grabbing some of the stuff to eat, walking through the fields, they were hungry and they'd rub it in their hands and eat it. And they said, you can't do that. That's unlawful. And it wasn't unlawful. They made, up, they made that up. That's the way things go. When you start becoming law-minded, you start expanding all the laws. You know, kind of like in our country when they say freedom of speech is freedom of expression. That's a side note. But in their day, they would do that. They said that's unlawful, and there wasn't any law that they couldn't do that. And Jesus pointed them back to David eating eating the showbread. He said that was unlawful. He said the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He was showing them that this is there's a, there's a new way. There's a new way to relate to God. Amen. And I pray this week that we get that we get stirred up in the very basics of this. This is not really that deep, but, you know, a lot of people have gotten away from I relate to God based on what He has done for me, His grace, He changed me, so I can relate to Him on equal level. Righteous and righteous. Forgiven and, of course, perfect. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you today for what you're saying and what you're doing what you're ministering to us oh we're just so thankful so thankful for what you've done thankful for the gift of your only son thankful for the grace that's been poured out on us thank you for your life and favor thank you for all that you've provided thank you that we haven't ruined it we haven't messed it up by our failures or shortcomings in any way but by the blood of Jesus we've been washed clean and so now we can say I am forgiven I am washed and cleansed and I forever will be close and relate relate to you thank you Lord for all you do thank you Lord thank you Lord help us to be mindful of these things today and in our lives going forward and be ever so thankful for what you've done Father, for those who've come to church today but have never been born again.